welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Rich and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 Development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Okay, and welcome to episode 76 of the Office 365 Developer Podcast. Hey, Rich, how are you? Good, good. How are you doing today? Good. You've been in hiding all week. I've seen your oof message, and you're really working, aren't you? That's right. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes email consumes so much of my day. I decided I had some vacation I was going to lose, so I basically decided to take vacation, but spend the time building different extensibility things so i've just been able to code without having to respond to any of the messages that come in <laughs> it is amazing the microsoft culture as soon as you flick that out of office on the amount of emails you don't get added to is really really good well i still it's still a lot's coming in you know i'm i'm i kind of monitor to see if there's anything really urgent you know although I find that people tend to overuse the, you know, importance flag on emails. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it gets, a, it gets a second scrub and then I'll determine whether or not to respond to it. They're really important or not. Now, there's probably some people listening that I didn't respond to their very important <laughs> res- message and I'm sorry, you know, you, you didn't make the cut this week. Yeah, that's right. You are not a priority. That's right. So it's been a pretty busy week. We've been seeing some cool little announcements on blogs at office.com. The first one is Office 365 Planner Preview. We announced recently that Planner would become available and it would be available in North American tenants. Um, but there's a blog post here now that says that if you have first release on in your tenant, you'll be able to get the um, Planner capability, which means that you'll be able to test the Tasks API, which is in preview on the Microsoft Graph, which is pretty cool. I haven't flipped from Trello to Planner just yet because it is still a preview and I am a production person in terms of what I'm doing and I can't really risk it. But from the demos I've done and the playing I've done with the Task API, it's a really solid product for kind of project management light, either in a personal space or even in a, a team collaboration type area within an Outlook group. So I really like what we've done with that. And, um, so if you are interested in that, I know we've had a bunch of questions Definitely check out that blog post this week on blogs.office.com around Planner. Have you had a much time to play with the Task API yet? Uh, a little bit. You know, I've had actually I've worked with that engineering team with a, a few partners that have come through that have had some interesting ideas around leveraging it. You know, to me, you know, it certainly provides a nice unified experience around productivity. You know, I know that there are those like yourself that might jump out to Trello to do one thing or use another tool for something else. But you know, I do like. By incorporating that into the Office 365 suite of giving you a nice unified experience around all the things that you do. So I, I think it's exciting what we might be able to do with it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to those scenarios. The, a lot of partners have this task oriented world. And so having kind of the planner as that central source for tasks is going to be interesting because a lot of the time at the moment, the enterprise use task list in SharePoint, but the story from a mobile aspect for tasks and kind of bubbling tasks up across different sites and site collections isn't there. And Planner really does a good job of that. So I, I think that's going to be like from now on our task-centric way and, and, and having that in the graph is going to be really, really empowering for, for partners and developers. Yep. And then um, I've noticed that Vesa posted, which was good, 
around the new SharePoint CSOM version released for SharePoint Online, which are available on NuGet if you go through Visual Studio. And key updates to this release are things like user profile bulk update APIs. You can declare items as records. Um, you can configure information rights management settings on sites and files. And you can read content of older versions of documents, change tracking APIs exposed for item folder site, site collection, uh, web pipe zone ID property stuff, document set export import capability, and a lot of additional tenant level settings are exposed. And this really does go to show that where the patents and practices team and the initiative around it have been pushing really hard on real world scenarios they're hearing from customers, whether it's kind of us in MCS or PFE, Microsoft Consultancy Services or primary field engineers going and talking to customers as a Microsoft representative or actually people from the community asking questions in the PMP Yammer group or flagging things as GitHub issues. These CSOM APIs are continually improving. So um, if you are a SharePoint developer, which I know a lot of you on the the podcast uh, audience are, I'd definitely go and check out that new SharePoint CSOM wrapper for SharePoint Online. Um, which is which is out this week? Yeah, definitely go. You know, um, a lot of the changes that are here were directly out of the SP Dev user voice. So if you're trying to do something internally within your organization or building a product around SharePoint, and there's something that's lacking, definitely go see what's on user voice. If there's something already there, vote it up. If not, add a new item into user voice because that's really how. You know, the evolution of the CSOM versions come from is is what's in user voice and, and what developers are actually asking for. Yeah, and, and a lot of it was driven out of the site provisioning work that PMP have done where they wanted to say, I, you know, we need this templatized to have IRM configurations set up automatically and so forth. And so having that in CSOM has made that a lot easier to, to do that, which is great. And then Vesa is still continues to do his weekly webcast, and this week it is actually on the provisioning engine, and specifically around AngularJS as well. So Brian McKelly and Frank Mresco and Vesa were involved in putting that webcast together. I haven't had time to watch it yet. But they've done a fair few of these webcasts now, and they're really useful if you're doing SharePoint stuff to get a good understanding about kind of what the capabilities are of the SharePoint Addy model and client-side kind of APIs that you can use inside the SharePoint space. So that's really neat they're doing that. And they're hosting all of the presentations on doc.com, which is our kind of Microsoft account, personal place to share content. And there's some really kind of neat things coming in that docs.com roadmap around what you can share content-wise, which I can't disclose, but it's coming soon on blogs.office.com if you keep away, uh, keep an eye on that as well, which is great. So that was kind of it from a a Microsoft world of where we're going from. From an event perspective, just a shout out, there's SP TechCon Austin coming up in February. Uh, well, we'll actually be running another one of those hackathons that we've been doing at and DevCon and uh, European SharePoint Conference and Angular Connect and, and so forth. So if you are interested in uh, going to a kind of a very SharePoint orientated show, David Rubenstein has put on a great list of speakers from a developer perspective, but it's also very relevant for end users and IT pros as well. It's a, it's one of the traditional SharePoint shows, and we're going to be there in force. Rob Howard, Ina Arenas, Sonia Kopchev are going to be there doing some sessions. So it's a great chance to meet some of the, the kind of the powerhouses in in this environment. Rich, are you going to swing by that? Because I know that's really close to you. Yeah, it's just down the road in Love Austin, so I, I'll probably be there and help out with the the hackathon, and you know, we'll see. 
see what sort of what help is needed. So, yeah. And um, and then so from a blogosphere this week, what things have caught your eye? Well, um, you know, one that's gotten a lot of attention and is a little bit dear to my heart is um, was some of the efforts done around uh, building a, a a reference application using kind of the help desk scenario. So um, in this case, we had a, a Microsoft uh, Premier Field Engineer, Jonathan Huss, who basically built out a help desk solution using all of our various APIs and a lot of the patterns out of uh, PNP. Um, I say this is near and dear to my heart because years and years ago when the app model or the add-in model, if you will, it was at the app, it was the app model at the time, uh, came out, Nathan Miller and myself had built a pretty elaborate uh, help desk solution. In fact, it was it was another iteration from uh, Eric Shoops. He had, he had put together one. So this help desk um, effort is happened numerous times. And one of the reasons that's a really interesting scenario is if you remember the Fab 40 templates, and did you ever mess with those, Jeremy, the Fab 40? Uh, yes, in great pain. And we actually talk about it later on in the show today too. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So the the most popular of the Fab 40 was the help desk template. Yep. And so um, that's kind of what got uh, both Eric Shups, myself, Nathan interested in this. But we never open sourced it. I had a lot of requests of saying, hey, will you open source this? And Nathan and I wanted to pull out. We were using a lot of scripts that were open source and and kind of all the licensing implications of getting that out were a little bit daunting. So we had to do a lot of rewrite that never occurred. And so, you know, Jonathan did a really good job of of kind of implementing kind of his view of a help desk. And he's done a a super job of kind of documenting his thought process along the way and kind of what he went about and how he built it, um, you know, step by step. So I thought it was a really cool multi-part series about a help desk. And it's a a cool solution you should check out for sure. Yeah. And then um, talking about other SharePoint orientated conferences, there was recently the SharePoint Fest Chicago event, and um, Nick Patel was actually there. He's a very well-known speaker in the SharePoint space, and he did a great session from what I can see from a slide deck, specifically around SharePoint add-ins um, and deploying them as high-trust provider-hosted add-ins in a SharePoint server environment. Um, so it was kind of geared towards devs and more really IT pros and kind of what kind of things you have to take into consideration when you're configuring these things and the steps of that. And the nice part is when you're looking through Nick's deck, he's actually using a lot of the content from dev.office.com slash training, um, as well as, well, which in, in incorporates a lot of the PMP training content that Vaser and Steve Walker and the team have put together. So if you are working with SharePoint specifically uh, on on premises in SharePoint Server, and you're looking to use SharePoint add-ins. There's definitely a great uh, training resource there from a PowerPoint slide deck, and obviously we have some of that training as well in dev.office.com/training. But Nick's added some additional detail based on his lessons learned there, and it goes into very step by steps, which is useful to kind of have under your belt if you're an IT pro in that arena. And then um, Waldeck has been quiet for a few weeks, but he's come back with a passion, uh, talking about easily publishing released versions of web applications to Azure web apps with Git Gulp and Kudu. Now, Kudu is brand new to me. I'd not heard of that before, but that's the wonder of kind of the open source element of uh, web development these days. Um, Now, I've been using GitHub public repos uh, and an Azure website hooked up to that 
that every time a check-in happen, a commit happens, um, it'll actually push it up to Azure Web Sites, which is really neat. But now he's got some additional steps here on using Kudu to kind of make that even more advanced and uh, deployment slot configuration and so forth. Now, I'm probably going to get him on the show to do a whole talk on this because it does come up a lot. A lot of our training kind of stops at, well, how do I get these things into a continuous deployment or how do I get these things published to production for my customers? And so this is a really useful set of things here that I think people would find of interest. So definitely go and check that blog out. And as usual, Wardek has lots of screenshots and a bunch of other things as well that really help to kind of visually understand what's going on there too. So big thanks to Waldeck for sharing that information again. We need to get Waldeck and and Chris O'Brien to combine their uh, expertise in like this like mega amazing ALM type of yeah. uh, session. That would be like amazing, I think. Yeah, I'll, I'll add it to our to-do list of our podcast shows coming up, that's for sure. What else have you found out there on the the blogosphere this week? You know, there was. I'm trying to look through some of my my notes here. Stefan he he did a, a post about the Microsoft Graph and OneDrive and um, how to deal with um, various uh, exceptions that are thrown, like resource could not be found, um, which is definitely a unique thing. In that, you know, we've we did some change around the the OneDrive API paths. And the other thing I was noticing that's kind of unique about the OneDrive APIs is um, there there isn't like a type that comes back on all the items that are get returned. So there's not a, you can't do a type check to say, hey, is this a folder or is this, a, um, is this an actual file item? Um, there are some things in the JSON that help you with that, but he kind of talks about uh, dealing with, um, you know, things like a resource could not be found if I'm trying to get children on like something that's um, invalid. Um, and so I thought that was uh, a good way of kind of looking at some of the interesting quirks with the graph API, and actually a little bit more specifically, I would say the drives or files API um, that are in the the Microsoft Graph. Yeah, and I know the team that look after that have seen this already, and they're taking it under consideration on how they can be a bit more intuitive than the resource could not be found in the way that he constructs it. Drive whack root whack children, and then the GUID whack children. When in actual fact, it should be drive whack items whack GUID whack children. That's right, and that's something that changed a little bit from. Um, how we initially defined the graph in the in the beta endpoint too. Yep. Uh, and another one that I found is uh, we mentioned this on the previous show with Steve Curran, a SharePoint MVP that um, has been blogging around SharePoint Server 2016. And in this case, he's talking about beta two and the Visual Studio 2015 Office Developer Tools preview that includes support for uh, deploying to 2016 as well. And so there's a few little tweaks that have to happen inside of the config file that he's noticed to get those things to get deployed to um, a SharePoint 9 versus SharePoint 2016. And it's just basically a target office version in a manifest that doesn't get updated. So um, big thanks for Steve for kind of sharing those as he's going through that journey as well. I'm amazed he has the time. Um, I definitely have not installed SharePoint Server 2016 just yet and I had any chance to play with it. But um, it's good to see people out there in the wild kind of playing with these bits to see what's available and giving that feedback to our teams back in engineering that the tooling needs a bit of tweaks. Anything else you've come across this week, Rich? John Liu out of uh, Australia, he did a post about dealing with 
like redeployment of apps that might have provided an update or if you're trying to you know maybe implement a new version so if you if you just try to push out uh, an add-in that is um, already in like an add-in catalog you'll get um, basically you you would write over that and and so there's various errors that you might get of of pushing updates of an uh, an add-in or app and and so in this case he talks about getting the error of the provider app differs from the app that it, um, with the same version and same product ID so there's been a number of different people that have, have blogged about this and different approaches for dealing with it, whether that be, you know, completely uninstalling the app and reinstalling it, um, updating the version number um, and, and stuff like that. So he's kind of gone through and shown a little bit of way of, of how you might be able to go and find out more information about uh, the app package um, in your site collection. Um, and so he actually shows kind of an unsupported way of, of if you wanted to just kind of do some debugging on premises where you could actually where these exist in things like the content database so that you can be able to maybe find out some additional information. So these are types of things that maybe some of our, you know, premier, premier field engineers and when they're running into issues. And they might use some of these techniques, and sometimes it might be useful for you to use a technique like this from a debugging standpoint in your on-premises server. Not in production databases, in a development environment, I'd say this is probably something you could do and trash if you got into a horrible state. But he's actually ex executing store procedures here, so it is a bit risky, but it is something that I know does come up. And in a dev environment, you know, that's fine to do that as long as you don't transition that development content database over into a production or testing or whatnot. Right, but it is a is a common thing that comes up in dev environments. I've seen error many times, so yeah, it's good to kind of see that going through. And then the last one, uh, which is from Matthias Ineng and the guys at SP Cath, they actually put together a survey, which I myself filled out and encouraged a bunch of people to fill out as well. And I know they had some really solid results. But one of the things they were sharing was some of their the data points was around what types of customizations does your SharePoint currently company currently use SharePoint for? And it was quite interesting to see that, you know, 71% built web parts, i.e. just in a browser, 71% were doing farm solutions, 66% were using SharePoint Designer, and 60% were using the SharePoint add-in model, which I found that was pretty impressive it was that high, and 37% use Sandbox, and 18% use None. Now, Obviously, this audience survey is skewed because SPCAF is really all about kind of the more advanced companies that are analyzing the use of their development within SharePoint. And typically, they're going to have a lot of customizations already in their farm. But even with that skew of um, demographic, it's still pretty impressive that the added model is as high as 60% in terms of actually using those customizations in their company. Right. So, um, yeah, have a good read of that. That's a good case of, you know, like, where are we in the practice thing? The other interesting one, there, there's quite a few graphs there, but was around what JavaScript frameworks you use. And interestingly, React didn't make the list, which I thought was odd, but io.js got 3%, breeze.js got 6 Node was 16%, Knockout was 27%, Angular was 43%, which is, you know, that's quite high really as one of the major frameworks out there. And then jQuery stroke SP services was 51%. So that's basically Mark Anderson's open source project. That's extremely high. And kudos to Mark for 
you know, continuing on that charge with that framework that he's put together. And then there's no surprise in the fact that 91% of people use jQuery in their development approaches as well. Yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, it. I feel like myself and and Waldeck and, and Andrew Connell and a lot of these guys that have started to do a lot in Angular um, start to move away from jQuery. Uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. You know, if it, I've I learned kind of early on, if you're doing Angular right, you're not really using a lot of jQuery. Um, you know, you can use be smart about your directives. The, what I was going to say that's really interesting is my team has a lot of, we have a lot of people that aren't like Microsoft purist. Uh, we hire a lot of people on my team that are more very um, open source focused. So I have a, there's a guy that's all into you know, doing building things in, in things like Python and Ruby and various open source technologies. It's interesting talking to those guys, and they tend to be very pro jQuery. Uh, and that surprised me. And, and when you ask them why, you know, compared to like using something like Angular, they feel that, that jQuery is from just a stability standpoint is uh, across every browser is just as solid as it comes. Whereas Angular, especially if you evolve it further, you know, you start getting into having to do things like polyfills to work with older browsers. jQuery tends to not have those challenges. It's really solid as you go back from different to different browsers. I thought that was kind of interesting. And, and certainly if you're getting into client-side development, that's probably the place to start is jQuery and then evolve it from there. But to me, that doesn't surprise me at all, the 91% with jQuery. Yeah, and then the other funny one was that 50% of the people who did a survey that were over the age of 45 did not use JavaScript. <laughs> and it showed that there was this huge jump between anyone that was over basically, oh, it says 46 here in the graph. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, it's a weird graph. Their tweet doesn't match their table. But yeah. essentially, if you're older than 45, it's unlikely that you're going to be using JavaScript or a one in two chance that you're not using JavaScript in your code and probably running COBOL or something. There you go. There was a big ageism comment to upset our audience. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying here. I think it's probably 50 and over is what they yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twitter typo. Can't do edit. Big fail on their part for Twitter. And then I wanted one last shout out. Um, Daniel Laskowitz. I've probably screwed his name up completely. He's from the Netherlands. Really cool guy. He works at Segeti. He did some pull requests uh, this week in our training content repo, fixing some bugs in our hands-on labs. Rather than just kind of flagging an issue in GitHub, he pulled up his sleeves and forked the training content repo, made the changes and submitted his pull request. And um, also, Paul Schaeflein did the same thing. So a big thank you to the guys for their kind of open source contributions to the training content. We had a bunch of trainers that have also um, kind of pushed things through, like Andrew Coates and Andrew Connell and Todd Baginski. And I know, Rich, you've been in there as well as I've myself. So a big thank you to everyone that involved in kind of just community contributions to improving our hands-on labs for kind of getting started with both our APIs and also our adding content. And we're right in the process right now of revving all that training content to flip to the Microsoft graph from 
our uh, unified kind of beta preview endpoints that we had before. So the, the content moving forward will support only generally available things and we won't introduce preview features into that training content because it's just too hard for the training content to kind of rev as we go through it as, you know, the engineers with within right can make changes to those endpoints for sure. So that was all we had for the updates. Um, before we get into the show, Rich, there's a new segment to the podcast, which is our made up thank you to our sponsors section, which I will play right now. With Code Analysis Pro X, development teams can improve the efficiency of their code. The tool scans for bugs automatically on check-in and rejects them, and finds the developer $100 directly deducting against their paycheck using the HRMS APIs. Teams have seen efficiency improvements of up to 202% within the first five days of use. Download Codenalysis Pro today and improve your team's efficiency. Okay, so I'd love to hear from Twitter and from you, Rich, what you think of those sponsored ads because I want you to do a few too. But I'd also like to open this up to anyone else that wants to record a quick short ditty of a, a made-up ad targeting a developer audience that we can put in the show. I know we've got some people out there with some pretty funny radio voices that have got some clever things they can put together. So um, we'll leave it up to the community to start sending through some audio files for my and Rich's discretion on whether it makes it into our fake made-up sponsored adverts in the podcast. You there, Rich? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Was that a question for me? <laughs> <laughs> you were busy coding, weren't you? No, 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 no. I Busted. You were talking to the community, not you, me. You were I'm doing not... what I do to my fiance when I'm like checking emails on my phone and she's having a full-blown conversation with me. I'm like, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. And then there was actually a question there somewhere and she just looks at me with her hands on her hips. And I'm like, I I'm in trouble now. No, no, no. I, I totally, I heard you wanted my feedback on them, but then you went on this whole rant about uh, the community providing. And so I thought that that was kind of where we were ending a recording, but uh, apparently not. And I don't know if this is going to make the recording, but if it does, absolutely will. I was caught. I was caught. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think they're cool. I actually have a couple ideas on some uh, fictitious things. It's kind of the, you know, this reminds me of the whole, you know, Saturday Night Live. You know, absolutely where they do these crazy mock commercials. So. I have a few ideas. We're just going to be funnier than them. That's what it's going to be about. I'm going to do one just to pick fun at my good friend from Finland. I'm going to do one on um, <laughs> on Vesa and Finglish or fin, fin, Finglish or whatever it is he likes to talk about speaking. That would be awesome. So it's going to be a, like a Rosetta Stone on fin, Finglish. We should um, do that for the Christmas special show. All right. And um, before we jump into the real uh, interview with Juan and Martin, we've got a quick introduction uh, interview with uh, Rob Howard, which we'll start right now. So I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the show, and uh, we'll see you next week. Okay, so I'm here in Building One with Rob Howard. Welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for having me. And um, so we've, we've been without a fearless leader for nearly three months, which essentially has meant that me and Sonia and Jim have been doing no work for three months. <laughs> As you can tell, that's not the truth, but you are a new leader. Yeah, I'm really excited to join the Office 365 dev marketing team uh, to lead that team, join you guys. Been working with you guys in a different capacity for a long time on the right. engineering side. Yeah. Uh, 
I've always been excited about working with the community and helping to grow the ecosystem and make Office 365 and Office a great place to build custom solutions as a business and excited about doubling down on that. Doubling right, down. Do. You're already in marketing <laughs> using the words. We'll, See we'll how many buzzwords later. Yeah. <laughs> Synergies all over the place. <laughs> the crew will accrue things. We'll have you talking marketing talk in no time. Wonderful. So, um, yeah, it's really good to have you on board. It's um, We've worked really closely with the, the different moments and uh, specifically around the Microsoft Graph that we launched. I know you were really fundamental to that with Dina and everyone else we work with in that team across the different engineering groups to bring that all together. So it's kind of nice to have someone that understands how things work in engineering has been there for a long time and got the respect of a lot of the different engineering groups to now be kind of running our team in PMG. So thank you for awesome. coming over to the, the dark side, as the engineers call it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. And um, so for those, I mean, I, I, you've been on the show before. You've talked about Word and Excel, Office JS, new functionality we announced. Um, you've been on before to talk about the unified APIs and people have seen you blow away their idea of what an OAuth authentication <laughs> is via Fiddler demos. And if you haven't seen it, um, I think the build session that you did was probably the most yeah. hit build session where you just spent 15 minutes in Fiddler explaining what a JOT token was and uh, the, the traffic dance that it does when you're doing the OAuth. It's a fun one. Yeah, but you go back way further than that. Like, for the, there's a majority of the audience is SharePoint devs. Uh, we're slowly bringing those guys over into office development and you know, kind of native API stuff. But you've been in the SharePoint space for a long, long time, right? Yeah, yeah. So I started at Microsoft a little over ten years ago. I started actually on front page like two weeks before it was killed. So <laughs> uh, not not because of me. I didn't. Have what what was that experience like in Microsoft to be all excited about joining and be on this cool new team, and then the lights turn out in the building? Well, it wasn't quite as dramatic as that because the team actually sort of shifted and became SharePoint designer, and then this other product, Expression Web. We kind of built oh, both okay. of those at the same time, and so yeah. uh, it wasn't quite like okay we're you're just working on a totally different space but it was definitely a kind of a different business space and it was kind of a shock to me as a newcomer to microsoft that oh that yeah. just kind of happens huh i had a similar experience it was a company called icl which got bought by fujitsu in the uk this was in reading and i was an intern and after three months of working there and i was working on a really big project for a very very large company with uh, yellow m as their logo and was doing some cool work with micropayments and I came in one day and said hello to the reception of the building and clicked the uh, lift button or the elevator button, and it wouldn't go to that floor. And I went back to reception, I was like, ah, oh, my swipe card doesn't seem to be working. Like, no, 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 that, that whole floor is closed. And they'd let go the whole floor, and I wasn't on the email distro <laughs> because I was an intern. So everyone in my team, all the management had gone. And uh, there was me as an intern with nowhere to go. <laughs> it wasn't quite that dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> My office was still there. The team was still there. In fact, a lot of the people on the team uh, at the time were, were from Vermeer, uh, the, oh, the company okay. that built FrontPage and was acquired by Microsoft. And that's originally. where we have that acronym in the URLs. Right. The underscore yeah. VTI underscore bin thing comes from uh, Vermeer Technologies Incorporated. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of those folks uh, stayed on and worked a lot on SharePoint Designer and Expression Web, and uh, a lot of them are actually still around the company. And so you came in as a program manager and just worked your way up in engineering in that, in that area? 
Yeah, yeah, I worked on SharePoint Designer for a while, uh, did a whole bunch of stuff around the page designer and our server-side connectivity, and you know, that was when we first started using the CSOM in SharePoint Designer to be able to do list design and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I worked on... Did actually, you work on the feature that made it crash every 15 minutes? <laughs> I didn't know that wasn't me, though. That, okay. was, that was somebody else, actually. <laughs> I can feel everyone driving their cars, like, gripping their steering going, that was wrong? <laughs> well, if you, if you really want to grip your steering wheel, I, I also, at the time, worked on the Fab 40. So. <laughs> okay, someone just crashed. <laughs> The Fab 40 templates. That was you and Eri Chowett, right? Yeah, yeah. We Both of us were PMs on SharePoint Designer, and when uh, SharePoint 2007 shipped, we wanted to have a whole bunch of examples of the kind of apps that you could build on yeah. the SharePoint platform. And, and That stuff uh, was hot. Yeah, the two of us you know, spent many, many hours building those things back in the days before. Yeah, there was no like manifest builder or no, anything, right? Yeah, you it was were just like, coding it all. Right, right. Uh, you know, make CAD manifests and <laughs> do the whole thing in, in hand, you know, notepad, XML and wow. find your XML validation errors manually and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it was and it was a little brutal. Actually, Mike Amerlon was uh, was sort of the dev That's platform right. PM at the time, and he yeah. was he was right above us. We were on like floor one, and I think he was on floor two, like literally office above mine. And I must have walked back and forth like four hundred times <laughs> building that. This is broken. Well, more like how the heck do I do this? <laughs> like, yeah. So uh, yeah, so that was a ton of fun. I worked on a bunch of SharePoint Dev Platform stuff. Uh, worked on Sandbox Solutions. I worked on uh, REST APIs and the CSOM APIs. I worked on the, the app model, brought OAuth into SharePoint uh, and a whole bunch of other places inside of Office. Worked on the SharePoint Developer Experience team in, in 2013 as well. Yeah. Did a whole bunch of stuff with the Office 365 app model and Office 365 APIs and the discovery service and common consent and, and Azure AD integration. Uh, and then most recently worked on Microsoft Graph and a bunch of Office add-in stuff around, in particular, like Excel and a bunch of the new APIs in Excel. Yeah. Uh, and some of the, the like Excel REST stuff that's coming out shortly yeah, here in really the next cool. couple of weeks. And, uh, and yeah, now making the leap to, uh, right. to help land the stuff in the community and help make sure that people can have vibrant businesses building solutions in the office space. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited the fact that you've got that engineering background and experience, but you've also worked a lot with all of our partners to make them successful already on the platform. And so now it'd be good to kind of have you fully on this side and leading the team and setting the direction of how we make partners successful and enterprise their successful building on top of what we've got. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty exciting times. I'm excited about it. But um, A lot to learn, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people to talk with, but I'm, I'm excited about jumping in. Yeah, yeah. And so how will people find you on the interwebs? Because <laughs> I know you engineers hide in all sorts of corners of the world, but you know we need to get you on board so that people can follow you somewhere and yeah. read your stuff and thoughts somewhere. I'm told Not that to one of the requirements... Not to compare you to our previous fearless leader that deserted us, but... I'm told that one of the requirements of the job is that I have to adopt a Kiwi accent. (laughs) (laughs) No, I um, I'm also told that I have to to be more active on Twitter now. Yeah, absolutely. You have a Twitter handle, though. I do, I do. I think maybe ten or twelve tweets uh, over the lifetime. Uh, R Howard MSFT, I think it is. Uh, Yeah, it's something really convoluted, so that no one can find you, right? Is it underscore MSFT? Or no, I think it's just all smushed together. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That is you. So R. Howard MSFT, you have 84 followers. Oh, wow. 
I had no idea. You followed 12 people, which probably means you haven't even installed Twitter <laughs> on your mobile device. And you've There's done an a app total, for Twitter? No. You've done a total of 11 tweets, of which the last one was a tweet that says, Tweeting from SharePoint Workflow from January 27th, 2010. Uh, yep, I need to get my act together. <laughs> we need to work on that. <laughs> I think that was actually a demo from SharePoint Workflow posting directly to Twitter. Right, so, yeah. It's go. still tweeting from a SharePoint external <laughs> list. <laughs> yeah, something tells me you were doing a bunch of work with Workflow for uh, the, the better part of January. And then so, yeah, I think that's the first place I'm going to have to start <laughs> getting a little bit more engaged. R- room for improvement. Yeah. Chat. <laughs> We can add that to your connect. Absolutely. <laughs> well, um, so we've got, you know, we've just done the whole connect launch with the event there. And I know from an engineering side, you were heavily involved in all that. This week, we announced, or Steve Guggenheimer announced uh, the build event in March. So that will be our big moment, right? This is what we're all going to start eyeing towards. Yeah. Yeah, one of the really cool things about you know making this transition and going from engineering to marketing here is that you know we've already worked really closely together and and kind of the engineering team and the marketing team have all had these kind of marketing moments or these kind of engineering milestones kind of unified in mind. Yeah. And yeah. So you know we have these like every fall we want to have a bunch of new stuff to talk about and we just did that at Connect and had a bunch of releases there and then yeah the next one will be built and there's a bunch of stuff on the engineering side that we're working on landing at build, both taking a lot of the stuff you've seen kind of in preview already and making that available generally for production applications, yeah. and then a bunch of new stuff, new uh, batch of preview things to, to see all the new cool stuff that we've been working on in the yeah, last six months. It's um, very neat. And so you know, that that will be just be second nature to be kind of contributing to that, yep. and I'm really excited about working toward build and uh, I think it's going to be an awesome one based on the list of stuff that we're, we're yeah, targeting I've, there. So. I've seen some of the stuff that the engineers have, um, it, especially the Outlook team. I'm really excited about some of the stuff they've got coming through as well. So, yeah, um, yeah it's cool to see all the engineering teams like plowing for those dates to kind of one-up each other, I guess, and we can use that to our advantage. To yeah, yeah. Make Everybody wants it. to get some good features on the list for, yeah, yeah. for the next one. Wants so. to be in that keynote demo. Yep. <laughs> cool. Well, I won't keep you too long, but um, it's really good to have you on the team, and um, we'll definitely get you on the show in the coming months to talk about some of the stuff you've been working on and and how like the audience can kind of really get to understand about how we work as a team and what things you got coming out and I'd love to like after like six months like, so how are you enjoying it Rob? Like, gonna go join engineering again or <laughs> this was like a good idea at the time to do marketing yeah we can come back and listen to it yeah, yeah. well thanks for having me yeah I'm happy to come back anytime and maybe I'll tweet some in the interim and... yeah that's right everyone let's get his follower count up from 84 let's see what we can do um, it'll be a good way to indicate who actually listens to this podcast too we've got a good like control group here that no one knows that Twitter handle exists. Yeah. So yeah, R Howard MSFT is his Twitter handle. Let's see if we can get him over two hundred. There you go. Yeah. By the end of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, thanks so much, Rob. Cheers. Thank you. Take care. Okay, Rich, so we've got some cool guests on the show this week to talk a lot about word extensibility um, with a vendor that's been in this space for a long, long time and has um, kind of jumped on board the Office web add-in space. So pretty exciting to have Juan Balmori-Labra and Martin Seifert on the call. So welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Hey, Jeremy, thank you for having us. This um, is a bit of a mission trying to get four people together in one time zone when we're all over the place, but um, I'm glad we've managed to get on the call to do this. So um, 
It's great, great to have you on the show. Um, so, Juan, do you want to just quickly introduce yourself a little bit? I know I've mentioned you a few times on the show. With uh, we've been away together at a hackathon, but um, how will people know you, and what have you done in the past with um, with word extensibility and in Microsoft in general? Oh, totally. Thank you, thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for inviting us. And uh, yeah, I've been in Microsoft like uh, fifteen years. So I, I started in, as a consultant in, in actually Microsoft Mexico. It was kind of the architect for all the projects for the public sector. And after five years working there, I basically wanted to move to the product teams, you know, because I have this kind of uh, passion to be working very closely with customers. And and I think, you know, getting what they need as being part of a product group for me was, was an aspect that was really passionate about it. So I moved here to Redmond 10 years ago. And since then, I, I, I've been working in many office projects. Uh, uh, Mendocino was one of them, Duets, you know, that project that we did to integrate, you know, SAP as a natural experience inside of office, which kind of was of a, a scenario that uh, enabled the end users to access SAP super easy, you know, by creating, you know, appointments and, and other stuff. And, and that group actually evolved into what today is the office extensibility group that I've been part of for the last five years or so. So back when we started the platform, uh, our, our original goal was to have like a common API for all the office endpoints, you know, the same set of objects to interact with Word, with Excel and PowerPoint. And very, very quickly we realized that that was a great idea, but, but we needed kind of, uh, you know, specific experiences for for Word developers, Excel developers, PowerPoint developers, and so on and so forth. So uh, on this wave, uh, we actually started the specific teams to work in app-specific APIs for, for specifically for Word and Excel. And I, I was participating in since day zero in the Word design. So, so that's my one of the approach that I feel more passionate about. And, uh, and yeah, that's my brief story. Cool. So you've been, you've got your ten-year crystal already. Yeah, I have the ten. I have the five-year clock, and then the ten and fifteen-year crystals. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I didn't have noticed those in your office. Actually, different people put them in more prominent locations. I guess. Yeah, I actually <laughs> have them here in my office. So that's <laughs> yeah, great. It's good yeah. to speak to people that have been at Microsoft this long. Like, it's great getting that perspective of how the company's changed, uh, especially in the last two years with the new CEO with Satcher on board and kind of the differences of being under Steve Bomber and, 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 you know, prior to that too. So, you know, for me being a newbie, it's great to kind of hear that and understand the differences. And you can definitely spot Microsofties that have been here for a while in terms of being used to the pace and culture of working in this kind of environment. Yeah, absolutely, man. It feels a difference. I mean, in many fronts, you know, uh, the fact that today, I mean, just realizing how today, how we can actually, well, how do we ship products and how do we create products? Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I think it, witnessing that it has been awesome, you know? Yeah, no, it's been really cool to see the shift for sure in engineering on, on that shipping side as well. And the challenges that brings for us further down the chain in marketing and then, for kind of hearing from partners and, and the community on how they're keeping up as well and, and, and getting striking that balance. Uh, yep. So Martin, um, you're, you're from a, a partner that's been building on word extensibility. What's your background in technology and how long have you been working in the, this particular ecosystem? Well, well, I, I didn't collect any crystals. I never, never was with Microsoft. <laughs> but, 
But I did collect 30 years of experience. You should have one, Martin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I started over 30 years ago with Microsoft products when, when you were still shipping uh, the floppies around and uh, uh, products were far simpler. So the history goes back uh, 30 years, uh, starting with development, but uh, I'm, I'm far away from being the coding man uh, today. So uh, I'm, I'm more in the, the managing the customers and the solutions and, and helping um, build great value for for enterprise customers and and so where are you based exactly because there is a hint of an accent there <laughs> well it's it's a mixed one it's uh, i'm half swiss half british but i live in switzerland so my british isn't as good as it should be so i guess it's a little swiss accent you're hearing yeah yeah okay <laughs> and and the product that you you've built you've worked quite closely with juan and we'll go into detail about that in the this kind of the second half of this interview but what i'm going to do start start with just kind of speak to juan a little bit about that journey and you mentioned one around kind of starting off with Office web, ad, web addings from a generic extensibility perspective. So Office JS, or when we first shipped, was yeah. really intended to be something that it would be familiar if I was an Outlook developer or a Word, PowerPoint, Excel developer to get started. But then that evolved over time with some of the demands we had um, in kind of scenarios that we saw. Can you tell us a little bit about that and that, that journey? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, that dream of, of having a, a similar code base for everyone was, was great, but we, we, you know, again, if you're in Excel or if you live in, in Word, uh, it's kind of challenging to be working only with generic objects. So so the, the, the specific APIs were always kind of in the, you know, in the roadmap. Uh, for some reason, we executed first the common one. And, and then you know, the big challenge, the huge challenge that we had was to actually offer, you know, the level of control that you have with other office extensibility stories, not like BBA and BSTO. The BBA object model is huge. You know, it's, uh, I was counting the members, it's like 6,000 members it has, you know. So the the challenge really was, we want to have all that functionality also in office.js, <clears throat> but where do we start? I mean, what, what, uh, what functionalities do we put first? And uh, and basically, what what we did there was you know collaborating with with a bunch of people, and we did uh, a very cool study about you know how people use Office and what aspects they are more common when you're doing extensibility on Word, Excel, you know. And and one scenario that was critical is the the what we call the document assembly scenario, you know, which is basically creating a document. So basically, you need to have access to the main objects that the OM has for. Uh, you know, for uh, interacting with text, you know, inserting content, uh, you know, content controls, you know, it's it's an object that it's uh, super useful in Word. Uh, Strongly that objects to insert images, to search in a document, replace, <clears throat> and all those basic functionalities were, you know, kind of the, uh, the, the first set of scenarios that we wanted to enable, no? And what, is, what it was very nice was that I remember... I remember clearly when, when we first met with Martin uh, around a year or so ago that, that he, he actually came to Redmond to show us his, his add-in uh, of at work. And, and, and I said to myself, boy, I mean, it, if my OM can actually create an add-in like, like Martin's, I, will, I, will be, I should be able to enable, you know, thousands of other scenarios, you know. So, so we took several add-ins or several solutions as... Kind of uh, challenges of hey, I, I would like my, I would like to be these guys to be the, the halo for Xbox, you know, to some degree. Uh, if I can actually show that there's the, 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 you know, what you can do with the API. So, 
that's basically the story, you know. And then Martin brought us a bunch of chocolate from Switzerland. And, and that was kind of... <laughs> that, that's uh, how you get things on the backlog, right? <laughs> Bribery by chocolate. So that, that, that puts many things on top of the list, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so with that, Juan, with the, the whole aspect of using partner scenarios to kind of prioritize backlogs and um, understand that, okay, well, if there's six or seven partners that are ask, you know, asking for this particular API to be added, mm-hmm. what, what kind of timeframes do you set out? Like, I know we have these big moments now with uh, TechEd Europe, and then we had uh, Build and Ignite, and then we've had Connect. What types of, you know, do you try to chunk these up so that you can release them in those kind of cadences for these announcements? Absolutely. So that, that's exactly the, the goal, no? to be able to ship waves of functionalities uh, more or less, th- those events happen more or less every quarter. So every three or four months, we try to to deliver more sets of APIs, you know. And that's that that's going to be our cadence, you know. The, the other challenge that my team has is that, as you know, you know, uh, the, the 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 fact that we need this cloud-based model is going to enable, you know, extensions in all the platforms. You know? So so these solutions are going to work in everywhere where Office is. And many platforms are evolved slower than other ones. You know, for instance, uh, one challenge that my team has today is it's very simple and very quick to ship functionalities for the Windows clients. But then, you know, taking them to the web clients, uh, it's it's challenging. It's uh, it's, uh, sometimes that functionality doesn't even exist in those clients. Like, for example, content controls is something that in the web WAC, uh, in the World world Web, sorry, it's not even available. So my team actually had to build, you know, the, the basic building blocks, enabling content controls in, in World Web and, and so on. No? But, but yeah, the cadence, the plan is to, to be shipping every, every quarter more functionality. And that, that's an interesting thing that I think sometimes people don't understand. It's something I had to learn very early on when I joined um, working with your teams is that really you are laser focused on the, the extensibility and, and taking... You know the, the the products that we have, the clients, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and Outlook, and essentially looking at them and adding that extensibility across whether it's in the Windows desktop, mm-hmm. eventually it'll be in the Mac desktop, um, the online version, the iPad versions of, of Word, and and kind of in this case, your your engineering team is touching code that other teams have had to touch to get those content controls in there, which is, um, you know, it, it's no light bit of work to do that for sure. And any developer on listening to this podcast will understand that, you know, that is an excessive amount of work to do to to reach that goal of having extensibility with content controls in each of those clients. Yeah. And when it, when it doesn't exist, it's, it's, uh, so content controls for Word developers is kind of a super basic uh, building block, no. So, and, and can you explain, like, what a scenario would be, for, uh, like a, a generic sample would be for a content control? Like, what would people who are word users have seen in the past around this? Well, content controls are a way of visualizing structured data inside a document, which is totally unstructured, right? So, it's it's a, a position in a document, a placeholder, if you if you if you if you like, in a document where. Whereas a developer, you want you want to remember and go back and change content there. No, uh, typical scenario is that, for example, a form where you are actually creating a forming word and you have fields and you you, you want your end users to be typing information in those fields. Uh, and uh, sometimes those processes, as you will see with with Office at Work, Office at Work is taking that to the limit, you know, because it's actually uh, grabbing data from external systems and you know uh, writing into those content controls. So. 
are basically are you should think about them as placeholders in a document where you can actually refer to them later in your code and make sure that you're writing content in the right places. Yeah, and you've, you've um, actually helped a lot with the sample, which is called, if you go to dev.office.com slash code dash samples, there's one called document assembly word adding sample, which kind of highlights a lot of the new word Office JS APIs that you've been working on with the Connect launch. And that has some content control stuff in it as well, doesn't it? Yeah, actually, that's a, that, that, that is a very good example of the scope of the API because it actually showcases, you know, a very common scenario for Word development, which is uh, actually helping customers to be more productive with extensions, you know, because the idea is it, nobody starts a document from the scratch. You know, it's very weird that someone is kind of creating a proposal again and again and again. So... What our what word users do usually is that they start with an existing document, and then they basically change content in a few places, and suddenly you have a, a completely brand new instance of that document. So helping uh, developers to to enable the scenarios where you can actually make end users creating a document literally in seconds instead of 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 investing more time doing them, it's. It's one of the things that I was super interested in on enabling, you know, for Word. Yeah, and that sample is really cool because you basically just pull it, clone it down in GitHub, and then essentially F5, and and it's just a bunch of buttons in a task pane, and each button is wired up to a particular function that has like that generic API call in it, which is really cool. Yeah, it, it starts with creating a sample document, a statement of work, and it actually uses the API to to be creating the document step by step. And then the idea of the document is that you have a statement of work for a specific customer, but nothing prevents you from reusing that document again and again and again just by changing the customer name. Uh, so uh, the scenario is showing how you can actually find you know, the customer name in a document and then replacing it with a content control and then very easily replacing all the content controls in the document with the new customer that you want to create a statement of, of work for. So so yeah, that, that, is, that example showcases... The, basically the first release of the API and, and, the, and the most basic capabilities we, we support today. Yeah, and, and one thing to bear in mind there, and I know you're, you're in a bit of a champ on this one as well, is the with the, with the word Office JS enhancements, that's what's gone into Office uh, JS version 1.1. Mm-hmm. Um, now, where... What Office clients does that work in and where doesn't it work? And there's a big decision tree there in terms of right now if you were doing this work. Uh, the multi-platform support, right? Yeah, yeah. What we do in the, in the APIs is that we what we ship is, is basically what we know as re- internally as a requirements model. So all these chunks of functionalities that we're shipping quarter to quarter are part of, of one specific set of requirements. So the idea here, idea in an ideal world, once we ship a, a set of, of functionalities, they will be supported in all all the, the endpoints, web, iOS, etc. Uh, however, as I was describing earlier, in the WAC, for example, in World in the World Web, sometimes that may be a challenge not to be in the same dates as the other clients. So what what developers can do is to actually use that requirement model to verify at runtime if certain specific functionality is supported or not, and downgrade or, or upgrade the experience depending on the results of those verifications. You know? And then basically when the functionality is supported in all those platforms, that recurrent verification is going to validate to true, and then 
you will be able to use the full set of requirements. Yeah, and, and there was a particular scenario that came up last week, actually, which was in uh, manipulating the contents of a document. It is totally possible in Office JS 1.0, which is obviously the Office 2013 client, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. using OpenXML, so you're kind of really having to pass that OpenXML and, and build that out step-by-step. Uh, step. Whereas if you're using Office JS 1.1, which is available right now in in Office 2016, there's functions with a few kind of parameters that you throw into them that makes that work a lot lot easier. But it, depending on what coverage of Office client you want, you may need to have either one single go base, you might decide to just stick with OpenXML for now, or in some cases you might want to have um, a function that is a lot cleaner, that is is your future path using 1.1 and, and just use the 1.0 um, function for the... Um, for the older clients, yeah, that is something that, that is actually very powerful in the in the model right now, especially because we don't have full support for everything that you can do in Word today. Uh, we don't have that yet. You know, we're going to get there, but and the the answer, many answers to that uh, to that question is Office Open XML. You know, if you can Office Open XML for those that that don't know, it's basically all Word documents are at the end of the day XML and. So if, if you insert a picture, if you insert a shape, if you insert a paragraph into a document, that, that actually it's, it's, a, it's a chunk of XML. And the API enables developers to actually uh, write the, that XML into the document. So that basically opens the door to insert any content that you would like. You know? And you can use uh, strongly typed objects, more simple objects. Uh, the challenge with XML, obviously, is to, you know, Manipulate the XML, and, and, and it's it's not a very simple XML. No? It's it's quite complex, uh, but the strongly typed objects actually is obviously a step forward into making this way easier for developers to be playing with. Yeah, and that's something in the past that I know we had as a pain point in the previous developer model that we had for, for the Office clients too in, in kind of that progression of uh, VSDO and combating code as well, mm-hmm. which is a nice transition over, I guess, to um, from a perspective from a partner, Martin, on um, your journey. Now, you mentioned that you've had this extensibility across Office for a while. What, what technology types were you using I mean, the past to build your product. Well, the ones you just mentioned uh, mentioned VBA and and, and the COM object object model uh, uh, was what we used in the past. But it was obvious that going forward, uh, you to 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 um, follow the speed of the customers that are wanting to use Word on all different platforms, uh, we had to uh, find a way to get our our solutions uh, across different platforms, and therefore this new object model uh, would be the only way forward. So we used pretty everything in the past you could think of. Yeah. And so you are seeing that demand, you're seeing that customer user base not just be on Windows desktop now and, and be across those different different clients? Absolutely. That's that's crystal clear. It, it may not hit uh, everyone uh, um, so clear on that early, but we, we are kind of engaging in, in early adapters. We kind of uh, uh, like, like uh, they, they, they come to us because they know we are at the front of the technology. So we will hear that maybe a little often, more often than others, but it's, it's, it's really clear. Yeah. Yeah. It's been amazing. I've just switched to an, an Android um, smartphone and um, the Excel Office client is is one of the most popular ones in the store. It's in a lot of categories there, so it's pretty amazing that 
you know that that's just purely based on usage and ratings in the store it's not something that we influence outside of that at all um so it's, it's, there is certainly a demand there as, as people have kind of taking their work on the go on the different devices um and so having that your product be available in those is 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 a really good place for you to be from an audience breadth perspective for sure oh, absolutely i mean it's it's if if you look at it it's it's clearly the future i mean uh, just technology wise the the the, the 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 things that held you back in the past are just removed uh, you can actually now participate in a in a worldwide uh, deployment without actually going through a classic deployment uh, it's it's it's, it's a totally new world and uh, much, much better. And and so one of those deployment methods is the store. Is that something that you've been seeing is helping with the, an individual partner perspective on marketing and getting that reach to, to our audience a bit easier? Well, the store is, is uh, I'll look at the store, if I look at the last two years or so, it, it in the beginning was clearly a little uh, consumer focused and all the yeah. stuff you found there was a little consumer focused. I think uh, there's a lot of involvement now to get that onto the enterprise level. I myself are also, I'm also heavily involved in, in helping there. And uh, the goal must be that uh, the, the distribution should be going over the store because it's, it's just not economical for every ISV to build his own license management and and user management it just doesn't make sense i think as as a whole community we will all win with a, with a strong store and that's my belief and so i'm, I'm also helping uh, as far as i can in that story yeah and and so part of that right now is we're, we're seeing more the store being used right now is like that try before you buy just so that people can very easily evaluate partners products um, in a kind of a trusted, simple way, getting it on their office client. But typically with your larger enterprise customers, are you kind of, we, we call it sideloading, sideloading those things via the app catalog directly and not using the store flow? Is that kind of the scenarios you're seeing right now? Well, we, we are following both at the moment as our yeah. new add-in supports small customers as big customers. We will have the small ones go entirely through the store. So we've implemented all the licensing and all the, the, the flow that needs to be done for the store. And the bigger ones will then sideload, but they will be uh, served from the same deployment infrastructure we built all around the world using Azure. So basically, they will sideload to the the multi-tenant environment that we built that's also responsible for dealing pe- with pe- people that come from the store. Yeah, and, and so you are running this all in the, in the cloud as a multi-tenant scenario Absolutely. Um, with your tech. And, and so that journey for your development team, obviously going from a... Uh, Visual Studio, .NET, calling very managed SDKs, um, debugging directly inside the Windows client to now having to move to more of a web-based JavaScript technology. How did that journey kind of occur for, for your dev team and what kind of problems and what tools helped you there? Well, well, basically, I may, I, I would, I would turn it around. I would say, I think today, with with what uh, or how the office is representing itself and how the documentation is, I think it's even easier for a web dev to to get on board and learn a little bit about office than for the traditional developer to learn all about the web. The web is just that much bigger, and uh, it, it's 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 things that you have to think about. We now actually run the service uh, and and not just deliver a box and 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 have the customer do whatever he wants to do with a book. So it's 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 a total new um, model 
including different technologies. So it's 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 rather big, and and we just uh, were lucky enough to find new people that are uh, brilliant at what they were doing in the web, and uh, they're they're just learning the little piece of office now. Rather than having to kind of learn the proprietary nature of what the VBA and and com scenarios were. Absolutely, it's it's we can actually grow nicely. You know, the the the, the new model doesn't offer us, as you heard Juan said beforehand, there were six thousand objects. It doesn't offer us that depth yet, but it will over time. But we can now easily learn while we go. To, uh, we learn more about the the actual uh, office applications. But from the product management side, of course, you do need this in-depth knowledge about how does office work, how's the structure, what do you want to build, what what, what do you envision can be possible in the future, and that's how you set up and lay out your applications for the future. So that's really important. But but technology-wise, I think it's it's uh, it's a really a different beast. But the office part is just super super simple and easy. And 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 with that regard, right now, because of some of the um, you know the additions with the APIs we've introduced recently, are there notions that you have two code bases right now, one on the older com object and one on the Office Web Add-ins uh, technology stack? Yeah, uh, uh, let me. T- rephrase this and or give you an answer in in terms of what did we envision when we went and built this new um, this new solution in the new APIs basically um, as as the whole model is different we had to rethink the whole thing and try to be the best citizen in a new world without dragging along any any uh, weight from the existing so so basically we we did the best possible with the new and we're going to look at how to bring uh, the on premise or the old technology into the new uh, model or into the new, uh, make an adaption so that we can take over d- data or, or documents or whatever at a later stage. It's, it's it's really important to be really good at the new stuff first before you look at, at other stuff. And and so part of that, um, like kind of relearning, I guess, and I guess retooling, have you improved any of your kind of the continuous integration and uh, continuous deployment type stories within what you're doing as a, a dev practice shop? Have you found that easier now with this new tooling? Well, we've done that before we started the journey for these web-based add-ins, and it's just a different set of tools. Some of them are the same, some are different. We may find that... Uh, Debugging and 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 uh, such things sometimes uh, fall a little shorter than they used to do, but uh, then again we have other tools which allow us to do better monitoring. Or for instance, just knowing what people are actually using uh, is is a super big help in in knowing where to uh, look after your code uh, maybe a little little more deeply or more carefully than, than other pieces which no one's using. So the trade-off uh, is on both sides, but in, in general, I think we are better off with the new model. That's great to hear. And then in terms of what your product does, the, the obvious at work aspect, what, what would you say that scenario unlocks from an, from an end user perspective? What, what typical scenarios are you seeing your product being used in? Yeah, and that's a good question because he used a nice word and that was end user. And our focus is basically the end user is actually the user that's going to use it, but it's, it's the enterprise we're looking after. So we, we are interested in how does an enterprise want Office to be used? And, and those 
missing pieces are the pieces we're going to do and create and give to the end user, but they're always in the in the uh, in the goal that the enterprise has a benefit. So a typical one is uh, if you look at templates, if you look at cost, uh, companies that that are spread around the globe with different legal requirements, different language requirements, different brands, and if you want to provide the user a template, it's 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 a pretty uh, daunting job to to do that, and uh, so that's why we build solutions around that. And usually this is important for industries like chemicals or finance or whatever. So it, it, not all industries are uh, need this the same way, but there's there's tons of them that that rely on it and need it because it's it's about trust. Uh, it's about how their people create documents which they publish to the customers. And if a customer gets a, a mixed picture of a company, they may also not trust the drugs they produce. So it's it's uh, it's a story that's making sure documents are created uh, the same way across the globe. Uh, to gain trust for the company. And, and as part of that, you, you have this notion of these task patterns that show up in that Word document that allow you to kind of manage that content directly in the document. Absolutely. So what we did with the new with this new model is we we uh, built one application that allows an administrative kind of user to to link up data sources with specific parts in a document and that's one task uh, that the, that is done by one application and the other application is a super super easy application which you just go and fill out a few fields and that those fields will then link to data sources and pick up data, logos, legal claims and all that stuff and represent that on the document where it should be uh, at the proper position. And, and uh, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's a twofold story we are running here with, with this new model. That's great. I would like to add that from a technical perspective, I think Martin's solution is a great example of how you can use the entire platform to, to enable awesome scenarios. No? Because he's not only using the word API that I was just describing, you know, the, the, the Martin solution is actually also connecting to office uh, data sources, not using the graph API as well for, you know, browsing contacts inside the, the organization. And, and I think it's a technique from a technical perspective, it's also, uh, a super interesting solution, you know, and, and that's exactly what I was talking about: re-envisioning re your solution in in the cloud way, or being the best the best citizen in the new model. In the old model, we of course reached out to local data, etc. But the new model is 365 based. So basically, if you've got 365 and you take our add-ins from the store, uh, you you can work completely in the cloud. You know, your logos come from the cloud, your users come from the cloud, and the graph just delivers super rich data that is maintained by the company and is already there. So it's, it's it's kind of trying to really use every single piece that's out there and just focus on our piece, which which is specific to us and, and, and uh, not do any more because there's all the goodness is there already. You just need to glue it together. And and, and, and with that, the, the notion of the, the store, can people download it and trial trial that if they go to store.office.com? Yes, by the time this will air, I hope it's going to be in the store. Actually, we are in the process of getting it in the store right now but uh, by Friday I think this or Thursday whatever it should be in the store uh, so they can trial it three, 30 days free trial no worries and they can try it out hook up their templates with their 365 data and uh, have the users using it uh, they will they will love it but if you go to office at work.com that's another area where you can go and have a look at yeah, from that's, your website uh, perspective too it, it's office at work 365.com and that's how we separate the on-premise world from the cloud world so all the new stuff is on offices at work 365.com you need to take that address to get to the new new uh, web based solutions okay great excellent 
And then Juan, in terms of uh, your reach online as a PM, is it are you on Twitter or LinkedIn or any or blog or anything that you kind of people can follow you through? At J U A M B L on Twitter, uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, and uh, yeah, we'll um, we'll certainly make sure your Twitter handle gets in the show notes as well because um, yeah. it's always useful for these guys to like be out of track and and um, see who's, who's available and, and, and tweeting about office stuff from inside Redmond other than the usual suspects of you know myself and Sonia and, <laughs> and Richard so people like a breath of fresh air on GitHub too you know and I, I am very active on the GitHub repositories so it's very interesting because what we do today is that we are actually doing the spec in GitHub so if you want to know what's coming what are the you know what's the uh, the functionalities that we're going to light up in the next releases. That I, the, what, the thing that I was telling you that we're going to be releasing every quarter and stuff like that. You can actually go to GitHub, go to the branch. Uh, right now we are in the 1.3 branch uh, in the documentation, and you can see, you know, the new methods that we're going to add and what objects and, and so on and so forth. And in fact, it will, it's a super healthy cycle, you know, to 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 have our community go there and and you know. Uh, critique, you know, the, the things that we are doing and provide feedback and, and something that has been extremely helpful of working with, with partners like, like Martin is that, as I was telling you, is they are taking the platform to the limit. And we actually have found a bunch of, 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 of critical, I would say, bugs that, that Martin actually helped us to, to, to fix, you know, and, and also participating on the designs is something that we, we always look looking forward to. Yeah, and so that's in the um, github.com slash office dev slash office dash js dash docs. And in the branches there, you can see that there's uh, yep. the master, which is the one that's in production and, mm-hmm. and what MSTN drives off of. But then there's WordJS 1.3 open spec, yes. Word Excel JS 1.3 enhancements, and then there's also an Excel Wave 2 API there as well yeah and, and we basically that's a branch so it's basically a copy of the main branch yeah and but you will notice that there are some new icons there that that actually are you know visuals to to showcase the new things that are coming you know yeah that's great it's a really good way of um, partners being able to see what's coming up next and mm-hmm. looking at the commits in, within that repo on that branch you can start to see um exactly what's been done um four days ago in actual fact by yourself one so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I was actually I still to dump to dump a bunch of content there, but uh, but yeah, I mean the the end result of our you know scrum meetings and design jam sessions, it's going to be GitHub. So that's awesome, I think, for everybody. Yeah, no, it's definitely a lot more. It, does that help you, Martin, in that instance? Oh, actually, I was I was waiting to be able to get rid of this, but uh, this is exactly what I wanted to um, uh, talk about. I mean, as I said in the beginning, I've been in this industry now with Microsoft for thirty years, and there's never been a time as good as this one because you guys in Redmond you really do listen and you do um, interact and I mean I've got one simple uh, story I hope Juan you don't mind telling me but one of these bugs he just mentioned which we found and um, that was late in the night for me and early in the morning for him and by by the next day in the morning when I got up I got a mail from Juan kind of proudly announcing hey we actually solved it well done we we found it when we solved it (laughs) and just just think of this uh, it, it's it's crazy i mean we really or at least we, uh, we as isvs uh, are, are facing a new microsoft a responsive microsoft a listening microsoft and it's it's just super great so thank you to redmond or wherever you're sitting <laughs> oh thank you martin i mean that's that's awesome i mean 
uh, I think what you said is, is something that that wasn't. I mean, it was done in the past, but uh, our reaction was not as fast as today. You know, today, literally from one day to another, we are bug fixing and stuff. You know, so so I think it's it's a great opportunity to be to be an office developer from that perspective as well. Absolutely. Great. Well, I appreciate both your time in the show uh, today. Rich was having, did join the call, as you probably saw in the Skype window, but he was having tef- technical difficulties of his own. For anyone who's listened to the show, he's been tinkering with his electrics in his own house at home, and um, turns out his internet's not that stable at the moment. So <laughs> it wasn't just Richard being very silent in this call. He was just missing, missing in action. Yeah, well. But um, yeah, no, I really appreciate your guys' time, and I'm hoping the people that are listening found that super useful from a, a word extensibility um, side of the house, and also seeing not just from an engineering perspective, but also from a partner perspective too. So a big thank you, and um, I hope you guys have happy holidays. I know, Juan, you're a big tennis player, and I know you've been skiing and snowboarding recently, so I'm sure you're excited about the weather right now here in Seattle, probably a bit more than I am. I'm going to keep doing it, yeah, absolutely, man. Are you, uh, w- which mountains have you been hitting up in, in Washington? Well, I, I actually I learned here when I moved here to Snoqualmie, but uh, my favorites are uh, Crystal Mountain and Stevens Pass, and of course Whistler, but it's kind of a bit far. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I've only I've been up to Whistler uh, in the summer, and that was beautiful. And I always said I'd get up there, and I didn't last year because we just didn't get the snow that uh, was expected. But this year it looks like we really are. Oh yeah, Whistler is it's it's awesome, awesome. And then Martin, do you ski up there or? Yeah, ski and snowboard or everything you can imagine. And being Swiss, it's obvious that you you're you're prone to do those things. But currently, for for a change, we are haven't got we haven't got much snow right now. So uh, I'm hoping for a, a low to come soon, so we can go and enjoy our mountains. Really? So that's even that far um, north isn't it's not happening yet. No, we're it's, it's you know 2,000 meters whatever that's in your measurement. Uh, there's still hardly any snow there. So uh, and if there is, it's not thick enough. The only way you can go skiing now is with this artificial snow which is okay but it's if you're used to the real deal it's kind of a difference yeah no i must admit i've been on fake snow in um where was i in dubai in that indoor thing and um, it definitely felt a lot different from when i went out in new jersey that's for sure yeah (laughs) yeah because to it (laughs) okay well enjoy your weeks guys and again thanks very much and um, we'll get you on the show later I guess to talk a little bit more about the journey moving forward um, as a partner and also as an engineer too great thank you for having us thank you Jeremy and thank you Martin thanks thanks for listening guys and girls make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources you can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one year three developer tenant to stop building against the Office 365 platform we're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash office365devpodcastyam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding.